0: My name is Scott, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Just really want to welcome each one of you uh, to be with us on Christmas Eve. Uh, A lot of friends and family from out of town and a lot of friends and family from in town with us this evening, so we're so, so glad that you could join us. And just for a few minutes, I want to share with you from Matthew chapter one, verses 22 through 23. Let me read it uh, for us together. Matthew writes this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And tonight, really, one overarching theme and idea, which is this, the state of being with what you need and what you want in life is way better than being in the state of without that which you want or need, right? So withness is better than withoutness. We know that. But it says in this text that Emmanuel, that this idea in this name of Jesus is that God was with us. And with is better. <laughs> it's way better. Having your basic necessities in life being met and having those things with you, that's better than not, right? Having Without those things. Better to have your health than to be without your health. Better to be with the ones you love rather than to be without the ones you love. When Becky and I started dating back in the 90s, we were in the same city for the first year. Uh, My wife Becky is the lovely flute player that was just up here she and I started dating in Indianapolis. We dated a full year. I was trying to convince her to marry me at the end of that year. Uh, she wasn't having any of it at that point, so I went on to seminary, which is grad school for pastors, and that was three hours away. So for those two years, two years beyond that point, so we'd already been together a year, and I, it took me two more years to, to get her to finally commit to me in marriage, and so after two years uh, we we were apart, though, for that time period, three hours apart. We only see, saw each other every other weekend, and that was hard. And what we discovered in that, that little experience in life is this, that being with one another is much better than being apart from one another. This last two years of my life, lately I've been into this mode of constantly interviewing people. I've been in this process of interviewing pastors in different positions for our church, and so I've noticed that the interviewing process today in our modern society with people especially outside of town is very much what I imagine online dating is like and I haven't done a lot of, in fact I've done no online dating but I imagine this is kind of what it's like because I receive a resume and it seems interesting enough so I'll, I'll email that person back and if the email goes well right we'll have a phone call and then we'll get on the phone and phone is way better it's way better than email you can hear their voice. You can kind of pick up a piece of their personality or a sense of their personality. You can see they have humor and that, that kind of thing. And so if the the email goes well, leads to the phone call. If the phone call goes well, that leads to FaceTime. And on FaceTime, now you, it's two-dimensional, but you can actually see their face. You can actually talk and communicate, not only hear their voice, but you've got to get a sense of their personality. But what I found is, even with FaceTime, as great as that is, it's nothing, it's absolutely nothing compared to seeing a person face-to-face. And when we were interviewing Gray, who's a pastor in our church, he's now the pastor of our downtown congregation, we were interviewing him, we liked him a lot, and he seemed fine and all and stuff, but when I met him face-to-face and spent time with he, and then especially his wife, when we met Becca, we were like, oh, if she'll marry him, He's all right. I mean, face-to-face, being with someone. And here's the final thing about this. If you've lost anyone to death, and this is hard, being with that person, if you love someone, right, you profoundly love them, being with that person is way better than being without them. I've lost my dad. I've lost uh, an aunt who is so dear to me. And the loss, and a stepbrother as well, the loss of being without that which you love is so incredibly Difficult. It's better to be with. Now, I want to see three things about this tonight. And the first is this the Son of God is with us and is one of us. The Son of God is with us and is one of us. The Son of God knows what it's like to be you and me. And that's hard for us to imagine, but the incarnation, that's the, the, the enfleshing of God, God himself deciding to become a human being and literally becoming like us, one of us, and so that he can know us, understand us. The Son of God grew up in a family. Think about that. The Son of God had to obey his parents, do the dishes, take out the garbage. He had to make his bed. The Son of God knows what it's like to have a cold, to work a job. He was tired, lonely, tempted, though without sin. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, knows what it was to laugh. He told stories. He went to parties, and he wept at a friend's funeral. He worked, he worked a job with his hands. He was a carpenter. He went to church, and he saw this world from the inside as a member of the human race. And the most important thing in this is to realize that the Son of God, in the midst of being human he understood and saw the injustices of this world. The Son of God was, he himself, oppressed, he was despised, he was rejected, and he was opposed. And as you look at the world today, if you got on social media today or any news outlet and and see what's going on in the world, and as we look at the disaster That's happening around the world in the Middle East and so forth. We see the refugee crisis going on around the world. And you say, where is God in the midst of this? Does he have any idea of what's happening? Does he even care? And the answer is a profound yes, he cares. God sees what it's like to be a human being. He experienced oppression. He experienced injustice. He knows what war and sin and brokenness does to this earth because he entered in as one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. The second thing I want us to see is this, the Son of God is with us to have fellowship with us, to have fellowship. It says in 1 John 1, 3 through 4, that which we have seen and have heard and proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In a way, what John is saying here is this. Advent is true. I am a firsthand witness to, to the manger, to, to his life. I want to testify and give witness to the reality that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose Again, John is pointing to these realities and he's saying this, the Son of God has come to us in order that we may have fellowship with one another but that even more importantly, we may have fellowship with the Father. This word here is koinonia, which means to have communion, to to have friendship, to have community with God. Jesus is with us in order that we may have fellowship with God himself. And the gospel is utterly unique in this way. And I want you to think about this. The gospel, friends, is utterly unique in this respect. And when I say the word gospel, that, that literally just means good news. The good news about Jesus Christ is unique from every other world religion, every other philosophy in this sense. Every other religion is a step in order for you to reach God. Every other religion is like, here are the rules, here are the regulations, here's the religious principles, that if you keep and you keep them well enough, you may be able to attain uh, a, a right standing with God. God may accept you if you're good enough. But the gospel is far different than that. The gospel is not, hey, do these things in order to be accepted by God. Instead, the gospel is this, look what the Father has done through the Son on your behalf. The Father has sent the Son. The Son has been obedient to the Father for you on your behalf in order that through the Son you may know Him and have fellowship with Him. No other religion that I know of, uh, they offer rules, they offer ideas and principles, no other religion that I know of offers this. You can be a son or a daughter of the living God. That's the gospel. And that is the meaning of Jesus' coming. He is offering not just an idea, not just principles, not just laws or rules, but himself in order that we may have fellowship and knowledge and friendship with God the father and god the son the final thing i want us to see tonight is this the son of god is with us in order to save us to save us and it says in john 3:16 through 18 this incredibly popular passage for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And when preachers like me talk about Jesus and salvation and God making us right through Jesus, the main thing that we usually talk about is the death of the Son of God. That you know, we talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's absolutely true. He died for us in our place. Isaiah 53 prophesied about this, and the reality of Christ's life lived this out. This is huge, but equally important, and and a theme that we don't connect very much is this. It's the life of Christ. His death and resurrection are crucial but his life preceding his death and resurrection are so utterly important because friends, the son of God lived his life in such a way that he was utterly and completely obedient to the father for his entire life. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. Throughout his life, he loved his father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved God with that kind of intensity all of his life. Can you imagine the freedom of of living that way for just an hour of your life? I have never experienced an hour, not one hour. Maybe when I'm asleep, perhaps. I don't remember an hour of living my life where I have been totally captivated by loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And check this out. He not only did that, he loved his neighbor everyone around him, even the most difficult people, including his enemies, as much as he loved himself. Always did Jesus Christ do this. And so Jesus' death is crucial in salvation, but so is his life, and here's why. Because the gospel is this, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father, it says, there is a righteousness that is apart from law, that is by faith. Paul says this in Romans, and that's That righteousness that we get, that's a gift. That's the literal righteousness that Jesus Christ earns and God gives that to you. God the Son came as our representative and he lived his life for you. And if you come to church here three or four times, you know, on a regular Sunday, you're gonna hear me say something all the time, which is this. Jesus Christ lived the life you and I should have lived. The the life you and I should have lived and have not lived. And he died the death that you and I deserved. He lived his life for us. God with us. God sent the Son to be with us. The Apostle Paul said it in this way, Therefore, as one trespass, sin, trespass, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness one life of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men and women who trust in him. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He wrote a, a Christmas book this year called Hidden Christmas. And in his book, he writes this. When God showed up in Jesus, he was not a pillar of fire nor a ter- tornado, but a baby. And there's nothing like A baby even young children have their agenda and can run away from you. you. You know that's true. I mean, you've seen it. But babies can be picked up and hugged and kissed, and they're open to it. They cling to you. Why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind? Because this time he has come not to bring judgment, but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so that we can be together, God with us. The God of the universe, the one who created all things and for whom all things were created entered this world as an infant child. Think about that. We we can hear several of them in this room, even right now. And that's what God the Son was like. He entered the world in that humility, Universe, the, the power literally that created the universe entered in that kind of humility and condescension. When I was 26 years old, out of the blue, and like I mean, like out of the blue, I was hit with so much pain I had never experienced anything like it in my life. All of a sudden. I was experiencing in my admin, ad, admin, and, admin <laughs> abdominal pain uh, to such an extent that I, I literally, I didn't want to live anymore. And I, I called a friend of mine who was a surgeon. I described what's going on. He said, you've got to go to the emergency room and uh, at the hospital where I work, which was really far away from where I lived, like an hour away. And a friend drove me over there, basically left me there. And they ran a battery of tests on me over the about 24 hour period. And they found that my small intestine had like, I had an adhesion, it's a long story, but it kinked on itself and it cut off all the blood supply and it was dying in essence. And he finally just said, I have no idea what's going on there. We've run all these tests. We don't know what's happened. I got to get in there and check this out. They found that, they removed it. They, they made me okay. But I was in the hospital for days alone in a place, you know, not where I lived. And one of my best friends in the whole world, Dan Fulta, we were fraternity brothers at Purdue together, heard, heard from Becky that I was alone in a hospital in Kentucky. And he took time off from work and he drove to be with me. For more than a day he drove he left everything behind his work his schedule and everything in, in order just to sit with me. And Until today, I've never told this story without crying because the power of that friendship and the power of that, like, Samwise Gamgee, like, you know, Lord of the Rings friendship that Dan Fulte provided for me, and I texted him on the way over to church and just said, I love you so much, brother, and I do. I loved him before that, but after that, someone willing to just have the presence of incarnational, uh, just being with someone was so powerful to me, I will never, ever forget that act of kindness. What a brother, what a friend. But that, that love that Dan gave to me and continues as a friend gives to me is analogous even more to the one who's the ultimate friend. Because Jesus Christ, friends, went the infinite distance so that you and I can be with him. That you and I, even when we suffer the pain of death, when we lose friends and loved ones in this life, that we can have a promise of eternal life, that we can have a hope of something beyond this life because being without that which we love and that which we need is way worse than being with that which we love and that which we need. The gospel is this. Even in the midst of this broken, fallen, horrible, messed up world that we live in, God the Son has entered into this this darkness, this brokenness, and this sin to be with us, to be with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you would let nothing come between us, that you have gone to such an extreme distance, such an extreme humiliation of yourself to come to become one of us, to humble yourself even to the point of death that we may know you. And I thank you for your faithfulness in sending your son. I thank you that the son was faithful to, to you always, that you, he loved you to such an extent that his life is offered up for us, that we can have fellowship with you. And through the son, we can have fellowship with one another, even our enemies. Even enemies can repent to one another and become friends again and be reconciled because the son is that good. So Father, I pray, I pray for us tonight, tomorrow, as we go from this place and all the distractions of presents and meals and, and all of our traditions, that we would ponder and treasure the reality that you have not withheld even your own son for us. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.